Thank you for listening to Life Church Podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org. ready for some word this morning? I do want to say uh, on behalf of the pastors, they were on their route to Columbia this morning and they are stuck in Slidell due to all the extremely bad weather. So uh, y'all be praying for them that they will stay hunkered down and hide or whatever they need to do. Uh, But they send their love. Of course, they always hate to miss on Sunday morning, but uh, it's just how it is sometimes. So I'm excited to share with you guys this morning. Uh, I told them I really feel like today is just going to be a morning to sit down with the family and really discuss where we are at and what's taking place here at Live Church and, and, and I believe in the church as a whole. So even if you are a visitor this morning, uh, you're just not excluded from this conversation, but we are inviting you and welcome you into our living room to sit down and have a conversation with us this morning. So I hope that's okay. Uh, we're going to be, if you got your Bibles, we're going to, we're going to just straight Bible study this morning. I hope you all are ready for this. We're going to be in John chapter 14. I have been in John chapter 14 and 15 for uh, a long time now and uh, just can't seem to get out of it. And uh, this week I, I got to do some work with Bobby uh, just out in the community and us getting to just drive and work and talk about this, these types of situations, what Jesus is dealing with in these scriptures. It's just amazing to begin to feel the, uh, just the place that our body, our family, our community is in right now, where God is taking us and what he's teaching us right now, especially with the series that just was unintentional, but we started a series on the purpose, the goal, going for what's your race, what's your lane, and then dad stepped in with destiny and being conformed in the image of Christ, and then Colby last week with being sons positioned with authority, and I believe this is just so going to continue with that theme today, so I am, I'm excited to share with y'all. John chapter 14, and we're going to just really jump into the middle of what, uh, by context, could be some of the most important things that Jesus is sharing with his disciples. And the reason I say that is because if you take in the context of where we're at right now, we are sitting at the Last Supper with Jesus and the disciples. So it would almost be equivalent to someone speaking to you when they're on their deathbed. Jesus knew that from here, he was going to the garden. And from the garden, he was going to the cross. So in these last moments, Jesus begins to share, not with multitudes, not with big crowds, but he begins to share with his guys the 12, right here in this moment. And I really believe that he just begins to pour out his heart uh, to the guys that he loves so dearly. And and these are some of the things, but we're going to kind of jump right in the middle of this. Uh, We're going to start verse 10. John chapter 14, verse 10. Do you not believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe in me that I, am the fa- that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. And we're going to stop right there and just, just, just try to dissect some stuff. They'll get me lined out here in a minute. I, wanna, I want us to take a moment and just look at verse 10, and I want you to see what Jesus is trying to, to portray here. Because he's fixing to go into his famous teaching of abiding in Christ. And we hear this term a lot and we know these were important words of Jesus. But before he does that, he establishes something. And in verse 10, he says, 
Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Now you have to understand this because Jesus is fixing to teach us what it means to abide within him. So to do so, he's setting this up to let us know that he is abiding within the Father. In other words, he's not asking us to do anything that he's not already doing himself. And what he does is he begins to immediately give us a picture of what happens when we learn to abide within him. He says, the words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does the works. Now notice, he said he speaks with authority, but God does the works. Two totally different things here. But he's showing us that there is a place within him that gives us an authority to begin to say things that in response to what we say, God will begin to do things. I'm going to take my time this morning. Okay, Corbin, is that all right? I'm going to take my time this morning because I need you to understand that we have quoted scriptures like we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and, 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 and powers of the darkness. And, and, and we quote these scriptures, but in reality, most of our Christian life and our prayer time and our works are all things done in the carnal by our physical nature. They're think, when you, when I, I'm, just, I'm past this point of us sitting around and screaming at things for three hours. If you have to scream at something for three hours, then you've operated in your own authority. Because Jesus didn't say, I scream and go crazy over what's happening. He said, I speak. And from the authority that I have, when I speak, God begins to do works. So what I need you to understand this morning is it's not even as much about what you say, but where you say it from. You can quote this Bible all day long without being positioned in Christ, and it will do nothing. This is inspired by the Holy Spirit, written by the hand of God for us to use, to motivate us, to push us forward, to, to declare his word and to declare his gospel. But if I'm not in a position where God has given me the authority to declare this word, then this is just another book in my library. I know it doesn't even sound right to say it, but I'm fixing to show you what Jesus is trying to show us. He's declaring that if you can learn to abide within him, then God will position you in a place that when you speak, God works. I'm sorry, that was big to me. I don't know about you, maybe you're okay with it, but I'm tired of the church speaking and speaking and speaking and nothing happening. I'm tired of the church declaring and declaring and declaring and still nothing's changing. Still Caldwell's in the shape that it's in. Still our school system's in the shape that it's in. Still our loved ones are in the shape that they're in while we're speaking till we're blue in the face. But you can speak all you want, but until you become positioned, your speech has no authority. Your speech accomplishes nothing. He said, I abide in the Father, so then I get the privilege to operate and to speak from his authority. Your authority will get you nowhere, and it will accomplish nothing. But when I learn to abide within him, even Jesus himself said, I have to abide within the Father because it's his authority. It's his power. It's his works. Authority is not in what you say, but where you say it from. Jesus is telling us that the reason his words were so powerful is because he was in the Father and the Father was in him. I'm going to say it again. It's not what you're saying, but it's where you're saying it from. 
For instance, when I first got into ministry, uh, I came in from a very ministry-driven point of view. And it was just about the ministry and not so much about the abiding. So I had a whole lot of truth that I was dealing out from the wrong place. And truth dealt out outside of the Father becomes offensive and hurtful and even harmful. But when we learn to abide within Him, we can still say some of the same things, but see them be effective. For instance, if I went to someone currently serving in our great military and told them to do something, it would not mean much. Right? But what if their commanding officer told them the very same thing? Right? All of a sudden, there would be immediate reaction. It's because of the position. It's not necessarily because he is someone so much better than me. It's just that he is someone positioned higher than me. Does that make sense? Come on, we're going to keep this really simple. For instance, this is what I thought, thought about. Most of you know uh, Colin Bamberg that we took in for a while and was living with us. He signed up. He's headed to the, to the Marines within, what, a couple weeks. He'll be getting shipped out to the Marines. Well, just a little while back, I guess he wanted to be like me, you know, and he started trying to grow out his mustache. Most of y'all are sitting there thinking, you need to shave your mustache. <laughs> Says the barber. Don't be hating on me now. So anyway, I told him, suggested, that would be a good idea that, why don't you just go ahead and shave it off? I don't, I don't think it's really your thing. But no, he was proud of it. Only till next week he come back and I seen him without it. So what happened? Did I finally get to you? No, my, uh, my, my officer said I should save it. I was like, uh-huh, see there? See, someone with some position, someone with some authority over him begin to speak, and in that, things begin to happen. Outside of abiding within him, our speech carries no weight, no authority. It accomplishes nothing. The higher the position, the more authority that your words will have. This is what's pretty awesome right here. Jesus is teaching us that he learned to abide in the Father, and in abiding in him, it affected his speech, the place from which he spoke. Not only did it do that, it began to affect the message that was being spoken. Let's look at John the Baptist, for instance. For, I think, three or four hundred years, when John the Baptist comes on the scene, God had not spoken. Not through a prophet, not through anything. Nothing had happened. There was no voice of God on the earth. There was nothing going on. So in that moment... The Roman government, the Roman kingdom, had influenced the church in such a way that the church could only do what the Romans allowed them to do within their parameters. In other words, we'll let you have your little church thing, but as long as you do it within our parameters. Any of this sounding familiar yet? And politics begin to govern the church. So most of what was going on within the church was governed by, oppressed by, and directed by the politics of their time. So all of a sudden, here comes a man who had learned how to abide within the Father. And in John the Baptist learning to abide within the Father, God gives him permission to speak something that the culture was not saying. This is so, this is so good to me. God is looking for some people who will so learn to abide within him that he gives them permission to start saying things that our culture is no longer saying. Things that he can come, John the Baptist comes on the scene and starts changing the entire message to repent. For there's a better kingdom 
There's something better than this Roman oppression that is governing us. There's something better than this religious system that has governed us. There's something else coming. But the thing about getting permission to preach something that is in opposition to your culture is you have to deal with the opposition of the culture. As we learn to abide in the Father, He will give you the authority to say things that the culture around you is not saying. But to speak against the culture will require a grace that only comes from abiding within Him. As a matter of fact, right now we have too many people speaking against the culture who are not abiding, and it has created more offense than freedom. The church has stood in a place of not abiding in the Father and tried to declare to the culture what they should or should not be doing. And it's created such a divide between the church and the people we are intended to, re to reach that the gap seems almost uncrossable. Because we've done it from a place. Jesus came, John the Baptist came and preached the most offensive the most radical and the most impossible gospel that could be preached, and people flocked to it. People wanted the freedom that came from this impossible gospel. I've been doing a lot, I've been in the gospels a lot, just getting ready for this and preparing for this, and beginning to realize that the message Jesus brought was impossible. He did not come to cater to anyone. He came with permission and authority to present a gospel that would be so offensive that they would kill him for it. It would be so against what his culture believed and what his culture was saying that they would take his life. But he had learned to abide. And in the abiding, he, gave, he was given authority. And within the authority, he was given a grace to speak and to endure. When we abide in the Father, He gives us permission to speak a message that is in opposition to our culture, such as John the Baptist or Jesus. There is a grace to speak an impossible standard, and it creates freedom instead of offense. In Him is also the grace to withstand the offense that comes from speaking such an opposing message. There is nothing more opposing to a sinner than the gospel. It is the exact opposite of everything that they are and they represent. And what we've done as a church is we've begun to lower the standard and the, the message that Jesus brought in order to build our club. And what it's really done is it's just created a bunch of people that hop from one church to the other. And if your church serves me better than that church, then I'll go to your church. I don't need people coming here from other churches. I want to see people getting saved and joining the body of Christ. But this comes from finding a place of learning to abide within him. I want to learn how to so live my life from within this place that Jesus is describing, that he lived from within the Father. He did nothing outside of the Father, and we constantly hear him say, I only say what the Father's saying, and I only do what I see the Father doing. How many ministries have we started because that's what we've seen God doing? And how many ministries have we started because it seemed like a good idea? It's just the place we're at right now where we're no longer driven by ministry that makes our church look good. We're driven by saying, God, what are you doing right now? What are you saying right now? Because to say anything outside of what you're saying, it will have no effect. It will have no authority. It will accomplish nothing within our lives. 
He's not only calling us to a place where we have the freedom to speak against the culture that is outside of the church, but a freedom to speak against the culture that is in the church. Jesus stood in opposition to the church, to the religious system, a system that was so built on the traditions of men that Jesus said, you've placed your traditions above the heart of God. You've called your traditions more important than what God was after. And so much so, he comes in and begins to say, you've made it all about what's coming in. And you've made it all about what's done within here. And you've made everything that is disrespectful to the church about what happens in this room. And nothing is, nothing is based on what's happening outside of this room. There's more disrespect to the church by how we live our lives out there than how we commit in here. Jesus said, I didn't come to do away with the law. I didn't come to do away with, I come to raise the standard. Jesus said, you say if you commit murder, you've broken the law. But I say if you hate your brother, you've already done it. He took the standard from here to way up there. Jesus didn't come to lower anything, but to increase it and to take it to the next level and take it to an internal. It was an internal standard that Jesus came to set. Just in the scriptures I was just talking about, he said it's not that which goes into a man that defiles him, but what cometh out. He said it's not about the outward rituals that you've made so important. It's about the inward things that are happening because whatever is in you will eventually. That's why some of you can stump your toe and make a sailor blush because it's in you. Oh, I'm just going to get real with y'all. Some of y'all think it's okay that when you get disturbed and somebody sits at a red light too long, you can say whatever you want to say. We can't talk about that, though, because we don't want to offend nobody. <laughs> I hear some help this morning. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. You see what we've done? As long as we can take the outside and conform it to look like what church says I'm supposed to look like, then I must be okay. But Jesus said, no, you're a bunch of whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but you're dead on the inside. Come on. Jesus came bringing such a standard. Even, even Paul comes back with this and says, the kingdom of heaven is not in eating or drinking, but it's in, come on, somebody knows it, righteousness and joy and peace in the Holy Ghost. You know what's awesome about righteousness, joy, and peace? They're all inward things that come out. Ain't they? Righteousness starts within me. And if you truly become righteous, you will start to live righteous. That's why I'm confused with this whole, well, I'm righteous on the inside, but I'm still a sinner. Where's that at? Show me that one in the Scriptures. No, when I'm made righteous... It begins to come out of me from the abundance of the heart. The mouth speaks. Righteousness begins within you and comes out. Jesus said it's an internal standard. It's an internal standard. Joy. Where does joy start? Starts within. And it so comes out to the point that people around you should be affected by the joy that you live in. Peace. Where does peace begin? In your mind, you have a peace of mind that is, surpasses all understanding. And people begin to stand back and say, how in the world can you be in peace with all the turmoil around you? Because it's the kingdom of God. 
And I live within him. I abide within him. We're going to jump down to verse 15. This is where it gets good. Y'all ready? Jesus, this is Jesus speaking. If you love me, then go to church. Nope. If you love me, keep my commandments. And then guess what? I'll pray the Father, and he'll give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. Who? Who's this helper? He's the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither see him or knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. Now, y'all look at verse 18, because this... Nisha, can you just put 18? But You're so awesome. You've read my mind. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Is that not the best scripture in the Bible? If you can't shout about that, somebody needs to reach over and check your pulse. <laughs> Jesus, I will not leave you as orphans, but I'll come to you. This could be the one scripture that sums up the entire story of the Bible. God just wants his kids back. 66 books that say, I want you back. 66 books that says, this is what happened, and this is what I'm going to do to get you back. This is how bad I want you back. Golly, that's just good, y'all. Let's look at this. Let's, let's dissect this a little bit. Orphan, the obvious de definition, a child without parents. But listen, it goes further than that. This is what's so awesome about this, this definition. But also... One who's deprived of protection or an advantage. This is about to get real. So what he's telling us is he's not going to leave us orphans. In other words, I'm going to give you an advantage. Guess what advantage means? Superiority of position. Wow. Wow. This is just not hitting y'all like it was hitting me. We'll get there in a minute. Y'all hang in. He said, I'm going away, but I'm not going to leave you without someone. I'm going to give you a superiority of position. Man. See, the crazy thing is, because Jesus left, we actually have the advantage. See, our saying, amen. But most people live like Satan has the advantage. See, he's tricked us into believing that because we're still in this world and we're still in our flesh that he has the advantage over us. Oh, well, you're still in the flesh, so you're going to sin and you're going to make mistakes and you're, gonna, you're just going to be a failure, but one day you'll get to go to heaven. Jesus said, no. When I leave, you get the advantage. You know what I've learned in sports? It's hard to lose when you have the advantage. This is really setting in for some of y'all. It's hard for me to lose when I have the advantage. So Satan knew that he couldn't come and rob the advantage. So what he did was, as the father of lies, come in and lied to you and made you think you didn't have the advantage. So all the while, you have the advantage within you to overcome everything that he would ever bring up. But because you don't know you have the advantage, you accepted defeat. Wow. 
and you just accepted that you're a sinner and you just accepted that you'll never have it together and you just accepted that you'll never be successful and you'll never have what you wanted and you'll never have the abundance of God, all of that because you didn't know he gave you the advantage. He said, I'm not going to leave you without protection, without love, without provision, without direction, without peace, without joy, without an incredible inheritance. I'm not going to leave you without all that. I'm too good of a father to leave you without all that. If you will abide in me, I will abide in you. He said, I'm giving you the advantage. I'm giving you the upper hand. I'm giving you what's necessary for you to be the overcomer. Stop giving Satan more credit than he deserves. He's not that good. All I've heard all my life, Satan's good at what he does. He's not near as good as Jesus. But we're victims. We've grown up in the church with a victim mentality. That Satan's on my back all week long if I can just make it to Sunday. I don't spend my week waiting for Sunday. I spend my week kicking Satan in the teeth until Sunday. So I can show up on Sunday and say, guess how bad I whipped him this week. Come on, if we were living within Christ... Give me one time that Satan got the upper hand on Jesus. And if you say the cross, I'll slap you so hard. No, I mean I will not slap you so hard. But I'll get Nathan to do it. Jesus said, I became obedient. Even He had to humble himself and give death permission to come get him because he's so big, because he is so in the advantage. He had to say, all right, death, I'm going to humble myself for a moment so you can put me on the cross, but then I'm just going to go to hell. I'm going to kick Satan in the teeth. I'm going to take the keys. I'm going to conquer the death. And all that, he gets back up and says, and then I'm going to give all that to you. And we sit around saying, I just wish I could get the upper hand. No, what you need to do is just learn to abide in Christ, and you'd have the upper hand. That was good, Josh. Good job. Man, I'm going, I'm going to give you an advantage. It's kind of like when you play sports and you spot a team so many points. He spotted us infinite points. We can't lose this thing. Oh, that's just good for me, y'all, because I spent the first few years of my Christianity a loser. I don't know about y'all, but I came into Christianity and I thought I just had to lose until we made it to heaven. I thought I had to be burdened. I thought I had to be weak. I thought I had to be pathetic. I thought I had to beg for forgiveness every single day because I kept falling to sin. And then Jesus came in and said, no, you learn to abide within me and you become righteous and you get the advantage. And you don't have to live with burdens and weights and, 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 and oppression and depression, but you get freedom. You get righteousness, joy, and peace. Just those three things are worth everything. Where'd we stop? Come on, students. 19. A little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because you, will li you live. At, uh -huh. Because I live, you will also live. Now, I want you to get the picture of this right here in verse 20. This is key. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. 
Now you have to understand the reference that he just told us the Holy Spirit's going to come and be within us. And the Holy Spirit is the representation of Jesus in all people. Jesus was Jesus in one person. Holy Spirit is Jesus in all people. That's just a whole nother teaching. So the picture he's painting here is you have the Father, and then you have Jesus within the Father, and then you have us within Jesus, and then you have the Holy Spirit of Jesus within us. Paul said, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who is living within me. So this is the picture that he is trying to paint. Not trying to, that he is. 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father. Now get this last part. This is so good. Highlight it, circle it, underline it, put a star by it, do all that. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. This is so good. Manifest to reveal fully so that you see me in my fullness. When we are keeping his commandments, he is unleashing a level of love upon us that we get to see Jesus in all that he is. See, as I was reading these scriptures, God began to show me the the victim mentality and the entitlement mentality that Christians approach the Bible with so much. Because most people get hung up in these scriptures because he keeps saying, if you keep my commandments, if you keep my commandments, if you keep my commandments. And we get this approach of, oh my God, I gotta keep all these commandments and then God will love me and, and all this kind of, and it's just, there's a lot to take care of and he keeps reminding me, you gotta keep my commandments. You gotta, and we're approaching it from the wrong point of view. You're approaching, we're approaching it like a victim or like he owes me something. But if I started with, he will manifest himself to me, I'll do whatever. I'll keep whatever commandment you can come up with if I get to see Jesus. But see, the problem is maybe Jesus isn't the real reward that we're after. Maybe the real reward we want is some, some success or a pat on the back or a, that's a good job, brother. I'm just taking y'all into my life. You ready? If it was really just about him being manifested, then the commandments would seem like nothing. If I really wanted to see him in his fullness of who he was, the commandments would not be such a big deal. Especially considering the fact that Jesus took it from 200 and something commandments down to two. But we get hung up. Oh, God's only going to love me if I keep his commandments. And I've been trying to do that. Yeah, but you haven't tried to abide within him. And Paul said, when I'm in him, it's like reasonable service. It just seems like the right thing to do to love him and to love people. That was the two commandments. He will manifest himself to us. It gets even better. Look at 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. Now notice this. Does it say it like that on here? And who will come? We. So first it was, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to dwell within you. I'm going to manifest myself fully to you. And then it's, we will come and make our home with you. We're talking about the Godhead, the Trinity here. Said, I'll come and live with you. I will come and live with you. Look at this. Everything Jesus did, he did in the Father. And everything we do, we do in Jesus. And everything Holy Spirit does, he does in us. There is nothing in this earth Holy Spirit is going to do that he's not going to do it through us. 
You know how I know? Because the only way to do it is from within me. He placed him inside me, not around me, not with me, but in me. So in order for Holy Spirit to touch someone's life, to reveal Jesus, to show love, he has to do it through me. We're asking God to do a whole lot of things that he is not going to do outside of doing them through us. God, we want you to save the parish. We want you to love the people. He's saying, I'm trying, but you won't get out there. I'm trying to reach out to them. I'm trying to serve them. I'm trying to love them, but I can only do it through you. So if we sit in here and pray for God to do stuff all day long, nothing's getting accomplished. Because everything Holy Spirit does, he does through us. He said, I'll, manifest, I'll show you myself completely. I'll reveal myself to you. 23, we will come and we will make our home with you. The magnitude of God's love for you will get you to heaven. But the magnitude of your love for God will get heaven to you. It's coming around. The magnitude of God's love, the sacrifice on the cross, the grace and the mercy that he poured out is what will get you into heaven. But if you want heaven here with you, it's going to be in direct proportion, response to your love for him. He said, if you love me, you keep my commandments, you keep my word, then we will come and we will make our home with you. He who does not love me does not keep my words and the words which you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. Wednesday night, I did some teaching with our youth out of 1 John, where John is reteaching this lesson that Jesus taught. And John makes such a bold statement. He said, if we say we love our brother, no, he didn't say that. He said, if we say we love God and hate our brother, then we're liars and the truth is not in us. Now, now catch this, because now knowing that, listen to what Jesus is saying. He who does not love me does not keep my words. In other words, if you say you love God, but you're not keeping his word, his commandment. Y'all catching it? Y'all with me? I'm coming, I, I want to reveal something to you this morning that Jesus was taking a moment here to begin to establish the kingdom of God with his closest friends. And he was reminding them that you have to learn to abide within me. And within me, you will begin to keep my commandments. And from those commandments, I'm going to reveal myself to you in such a way that me and my Father will come and we will live with you. We will make our abode within you. And it will no longer be you who is living, but us living through you. But if you are not keeping my commandments, it is the evidence, it is the proof, it is the, the barometer of your love for me. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, if you really, really love me, I'll be able to know by you keeping my commandments. I want to show you this. I want to go even further with that thought. Look at verse 30. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. I love that scripture. 
Satan has absolutely nothing within him, nothing to pull on, nothing to draw on, no power, no authority. But in 31, he shows us something. He said, even though he has nothing in me, 31, but that the world may know I love my father. As the commandment he has given me, so I do. So I want you to understand here, Jesus doing the commandments of God was not to prove his love to God. He followed his commandments out of love and it showed the world that he loved God. We are doing a lot of talking about how much we love God. But according to Jesus, the only way the world will know how much we love our Father is in our obeying his commands. So you following the commands of Jesus is less about him knowing and more about them knowing. Jesus told him, I, I look at the heart. And, and, and John, remember, he didn't commit himself to a city. And he said, because I see their heart. In other words, no matter what action you do, God can look at your heart and know what you're thinking. But they can't see your heart. All they can see is your obedience. So the world is looking for a people that are so obedient in such a way that it shows their love for God. He said, to prove my love to the people, I'm going to do what my father commanded me. After this, he goes into some of my favorite teaching, which is John 15, and I'm not going to go in depth into this because there's just so much there. But this is where he begins to go in and teach them, I am the vine. You are the branches. My, my, my father is the vine dresser. And he begins to go into this whole, this whole thing about if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. And if you're not bearing fruit, I'll take you up close to me. But if you're abiding me, and, and, and this whole lesson that's so phenomenal. But the beauty, the overall lying thing of the lesson that I think we tend to forget is the fact that he considers God the vine dresser. And for a vine dresser, the greatest pleasure he gets is when the vine and the branches are doing what they're supposed to do. That's his greatest glory. So God is not sitting in heaven looking to judge us for every wrong mistake and every decision and all these things. He's sitting in heaven so desiring to put us in a place that we can be the most productive that we could possibly be. He gets glory when we are bearing much fruit. He said, if you're willing to abide within me, God will so protect you and take care of you and put you into a place and a position that you could never get to on your own. There's, there's, there's just a topic that's been floating around with some of us lately on success. And the idea that success was God's idea, not man's. The abundant life, the excessiveness, the extravagance, that was God's idea. Man just put it in the wrong place. So in all reality, God's desire is so that you would be so successful that it would bring him glory. A vine without fruit is unsuccessful and the vine dresser gets no glory out of it. He has nothing to rejoice over. But this is where I want to I start winding this down. In 15 verse 9, it says, As the Father loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. Abide means to Remain, to dwell, to live. It also means to remain within a state, a relation, or an expectation. This is what's awesome. 
He's saying, just as much as God loved me while I was here on earth, that's how much I love you. Now learn to dwell within. Learn to expect. Learn to stay in a state of that love, a place of that love, that you do all of your bidding, you do all of your reacting, you do all of your responding from this place of how much I love you. That every decision, every moment, every conversation, everywhere we're at, it's done from this place of living within him. We were talking on the way home from New Orleans last night of how for some reason the church has learned how to separate our spirituality from our natural lives and that we kind of separate who we are when we're at the job than when we're at church or when we're with our family or, or whatever it is. And for some reason there's been this, this disconnect and we're super spiritual here. We're just not spiritual anywhere else. And I'm not trying to be condemning or anything like that, but it's just the way it's become, and we were discussing this last night on the way home, and, and, and I begin to think about this place where Jesus is saying, just, just, live, just learn to abide within the love that I've given you. No matter if you're at work, or if you're with your family, or if you're at the church, just wherever you're at, just live from that place. He wasn't telling them, go out and start a huge ministry. Go out and do this. Go out and do that. He was just saying, no, learn to live inside of this. And everything you do will reflect this place. Everything Jesus did reflected the person he was in, and he was in the Father. So everything we do when we learn to abide will reflect him when we learn to abide, live, dwell, expect, remain in a state of Jesus Christ. We've come up with this crazy idea that at some point we get the choice to turn this thing off. We've come up with this crazy idea that, that I'm not quite as abiding there as I am here. And because of it, we've, we've, we've had no effect out there. I would rather you be more spiritual out here, out there, than you are in here. In here, you don't have to be real spiritual. There's enough spirituality in here to cover it up. But out there... Just Friday, I think it was, I heard, I heard a pastor talking about, and, and, and I'll close with this. I heard a pastor talking about where Jesus said, you are the light of the world. The city said, on a hill cannot be hidden. You don't light a lamp and put it on. He was doing that whole thing. And he, he brought out a point that I'd never heard someone make before. And he said, you are the light of the world is not an idea or a concept. It's a standard. And I was like, wow, that changes everything. He said, Jesus wasn't giving you an idea. He wasn't even giving you a ministry. I think we've taken that and made it so about, well, my ministry is light of the world. No, that's your standard. That no matter where you go, what you do, or where you're at, you're a light. And he said, you don't light a light and put it under something. But in some way we've done that and, and we've taken, I mentioned earlier how we've lowered the standard of the gospel and we've lowered this standard that Jesus set that I am a light no matter where I'm at. I was thinking about this so much this weekend. We went down uh, to New Orleans for Colby's birthday and we went out and just ate some awesome Cajun food. Man, them people down there can cook. But anyway, we were just out and we were driving around uh, pretty much too scared to get out and walk in some places if you know what I mean. So we stayed in the truck with the windows up. No, I'm kidding. We were just driving around and, and, and just seeing the, just, just you, if you've been there, you know what I mean. It's just that, you know what I mean? And that's what I begin to think. Where, where's the light? 
Has this become a place that we've learned to just, well, that's just that place. And to be honest, when I hear people talk about New Orleans and, and other places as well, and most of the time it's church people, all I hear is, well, you better carry a weapon. You better watch your back. You better keep a knife on you. You better hide your stuff. Why has a Christian never said, you better pray for someone? You better share the gospel. You see what I'm saying? You see what we've done? Is this beginning to, to, to bring our mind all the way back to, are we abiding? Are we abiding within him? Or, or have we found a way to put it under the basket? Step outside of it. Turn it off when it's more convenient. I've been so just driven by this that, that we would so learn to abide within him that it gives us a grace. It gives us a grace to begin to say a message that is totally in opposition to what culture is screaming at us. When in reality, instead of that, the church has just begun to take on the message that they're screaming. And we've done just like they did when John the Baptist came on the scene. We've allowed the politics and the culture around us to only allow us to operate within the parameters that they have set. And according to, to their parameters, I need to turn it down some when I'm at my job. And I need to turn it down some when I'm at Brookshire's or, or wherever. When I'm at the mall, when I'm out for someone's birthday in New Orleans, I need to turn it down some. I've just been so convicted by this that, that these guys came on the scene preaching a message that was so crazy that they gave their lives for it. There was only one of them they didn't kill and they just put him out on an island and hoped that he would starve to death. But instead he wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and Revelation to change the world. But I'm not even getting into that. But God just, he's just been so dealing me on some things of, of how much different would, we, would our lives look if we could learn to abide within him. If I learned to live from the place of his love. You know what else it does? It, it does away with condemnation. If I learn to live within his love and know that he is loving me as a son, if he died for me while I was a sinner, why would he give up on me now? And it brings such a freedom. It brings such a freedom. Before we pray, I want to share this with you. I was saved at what, 20? 20? 20 years old, within months of, of giving my life to Christ, I was just immediately put into ministry. It was just out of need. There was just a position that needs to be filled, and I was the young guy. So at, for a youth pastor, they just didn't want to put somebody old in there. So by default, I was the guy. So I was immediately put straight into ministry. And so because of that, that ministry became my identity. It became who I was. And I even thought it was really cool to say that, you know. Well, I'm not just a youth pastor. It's who I am. Well, because of that, because my identity was in that, when the ministry wasn't everything I thought it was supposed to be, it began to make me think that my identity wasn't there. And in January, I would already be looking and planning to all the youth conferences that would call and ask me to come preach all over the place. 
And I would plan them out. I would think, this is who I am. I'm traveling all over, preaching at youth conferences. And, 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 and we had gotten to where our youth conference here was just exploding. And we were doing all this awesome stuff. And all that became who I was. Well, then all of a sudden, I got to a place. And God began to pull me away from all that stuff. And I started turning down some opportunities to go places and started pulling back all this stuff and began to look at myself. And for a moment, I realized I was scared because who would I be then? If I wasn't doing all these ministries, then who am I? And at first there was fear that came with this of, I'm, God, I'm, I'm losing my identity. What's going to be next? What's going to happen next? But in that, he so began to show me I didn't call you to be a youth pastor. I just called you a son. And some of my sons just happened happen to end up being youth pastors. Some end up being worship leaders. Some end up working at Brookshire's. But they're my son. And it's what I've called them. And when I learned to put my identity in the abiding in Christ and not into the ministry or into the job or into the whatever it may be, I learned that no matter what's going on around me, my identity never changes. Because no matter what happens, where I'm going, what I'm doing, what's, no matter any of that, I'm always a son. So if I can keep my identity within being a son, then everything else just flows from that. And I've never been so free. I've spent more time with my family this year than I've ever done since I got saved. I was so driven that my identity was in ministry that I was sitting on the brink of divorce. My wife literally saying, if something doesn't change, we're gone. But no, I'm a minister. And ministers are sacrificing their families on the altar of ministry. And I said, no, that won't be me. That won't be me. In the garden, the original design of God, he said, I've created you to be my son and have communion. And anything and everything else will just be a byproduct of that. So I began to pull myself back to, that's what I want to be. I want to learn to be a son. And because of it, it saved my marriage. It's crazy because on the outside, you think, wow, he's rocking in the ministry. He's preaching all over and he's doing, man, he must just be awesome. Only to come home and be miserable. Just fight and just, and God just began to show me that's not the way I designed it. I'm not sure where to go from this moment, but I know that God is so changing some things here at Life Church. And He's beginning to allow us to take the focus off of the ministry and begin to put it back on Him. Holy Spirit shared me something the other day. I told Colby, I said, religion gives us titles and relationship gives us position. And we have to be very careful because especially in a church setting, titles are really a big deal. I'm just going to leave that alone. But titles have become everything. And you need to have this certain title. You need to know this much before you're accepted into certain religious establishments but the only title I care to have anymore is a son only title you need is daughter 
Because it's the only title that doesn't come with a burden. That's freeing. That's freeing. Pastor comes with a burden. Worship pastor comes with a burden. Usher can come with a burden. But son and daughter, no matter what I do, I'm still a son. No matter what you do, you're still a daughter, so there's no burden. I don't look like my dad because I tried really hard to. I just I was born that way. It's my cross to bear. Some of y'all get that later. I don't talk like him and, and have some of his personality traits because I tried really hard. I was just born this way. When you really become born into the kingdom of God, you don't try hard to be like your father. It's just, you're just born that way. And it's freeing. It's so freeing. I'm really trying to quit, y'all, I promise. This weekend, just, just, to, just to express the freedom that I'm in right now, we started seven weeks. For those of you who don't know, every Saturday night, we're doing a service here on Saturday night. Prayer, someone sharing, there's worship, there's something going on here on Saturday night. We're doing this up until maybe forever, who knows. But there was a time in my life to where, man, if that was going on, I would have canceled every plan I ever had, any money I ever spent, because, man, if I don't show up on that Saturday night service, God's going to be mad at me. But I'm just going to be honest with you. Some of y'all were here last night praying, pursuing God. I was in New Orleans at a concert, dancing and acting a fool. But I was a son there, just like you were a son and a daughter in here. See, some, some, I feel like someone's struggling with this right here. But I'm trying to set some people free. That you understand your identity is not wrapped up in this, this building. Your identity is not found in how much, how you, you make every single service. Do we push commitment? Yeah. Be committed. But don't base your identity on it. Man, this is just good in here this morning. I feel like family. We should just all have a group hug. I'm not going to make y'all do that because I don't like hugging that much. Listen, I'm not going to do a drawn out, uncomfortable altar call. What I'm going to do is just tell you, begin to pursue him in this area. Begin to ask the question, God, how do I abide in you? How do I do this? What does it look like? That's what I had to do. God, what does it look like? Begin to question yourself. Examine yourself, the Bible says. The psalmist said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Is my identity caught up in all this, or is it in Him? Am I free from abiding within Him, or is my freedom only when I have it all together? And I'm doing it all like it should be done. Your son, your daughter, and I'll leave you with the words of Jesus. As the Father has loved me, I love you. Now just live in it. Just live within the love that He has given you. Thank you for listening to Life Church Podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org.